as you know, I'm the author of the Enthrall Sessions and Perfume Girl and uh, the Icon Trilogy from Harlequin and Pervade London is my latest scorching MMF and it's set in London. I hope you'll check it out. When I think of my next guest, I think of glamour and sophistication and everything that is the best of New York, where many of her books are set. Lauren Lane is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author and has sold over a million copies. She's featured in, in, she's been featured in Inside Edition, Publishers Weekly, Glamour and the Wall Street Journal. Lauren is known for her super sexy, sassy novels that have a habit of taking the reader's breath away. I'm thrilled to have you on The Romance Show. Lauren Lane, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled. We are so excited to be able to chat to you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk with us. You're super busy and uh, we're just thrilled to have you. Thank I want to start off by saying, you're in New York now. You're living in New York. How, I am. How did you come to be living in New York? Because we talked a little bit before we started recording. You said you were born on the east, uh, the west coast. I am, yeah. So I'm originally from the Seattle area, and I married my high school sweetheart. And quite honestly, throughout our entire 20s, we really, we thought we were going to be, you know, Seattle for life. Um, you know, we imagined moving to the suburbs, that we're going to be the whole like babies and the, the whole thing that our friends were doing. And then right as our lease was up in our apartment, we were about 28, I want to say this was, <laughs> someone did the math, but it was yeah. maybe seven years ago. And he got a very unexpected job offer in New York. And they said, would you come out for two years? This is this company um, to help us open the New York office and then come back to Seattle. And we thought, you know what? We'd never really considered it before, but we thought, okay, we don't have kids. If we don't do it now, we're never going to do it. So let's just try it. And sort of long story short, we thought it was going to be temporary. And we just, we came and I think it was like, it felt like the first day that we, we stepped into Manhattan, like coming through the Lincoln Tunnel. And it was this very weird sense of being home. Um, so yeah, what was really intended to be a two-year stint, sort of, it called us back because we did end up going back to Seattle. Um, as planned, mostly for financial reasons, because New York is so expensive. Um, and then as soon as we got back to Seattle, we thought, you know what, this isn't a fit anymore. We we just love, we love Manhattan. We love the city life. And it's, it almost felt, it must have felt like fortuitous or something, looking back, all the books that you've written based in New York. It does. And actually, what's really funny is my first my first book that I wrote, which actually wasn't the first one that was published. So, so I, I wrote a book called Only With You. It was set in Seattle because I was living in Seattle at the time and I wrote it. And actually about in the same week that my husband got that sort of fateful phone call, I had just finished the book. And so knowing when we were coming to New York, I would have to quit my corporate job at the time. My husband said, are you, are you open to that? And I said, yes, but I want to try, I want three months to try to basically do this book thing. Like I'm going to try to get an agent. I'm going to try to get a book deal and do this, you know, full time for real. And then it took about six months, um, but I did get the agent and then very quickly got sold that book, which was nice. But then Random House um, at the time also, we ended up not going with them, but they said, do you have anything else? And my agent said, why don't you try to write a book really quickly for Random House? So within the span of about a month, we, this was right after we moved to New York, uh, I, I kind of wrote this very, very quick book that was set here in Manhattan. It's called After the Kiss. 
it's the first in my stiletto series, which is now sort of, sort of I think, I don't want to say it's my very best selling, but it's, I think, the one that a lot of writers or readers find me through. Um, and again, it was just sort of this spur of the moment. I just moved to New York. I'm like, well, I'll write a New York book. And that really became sort of the essence of my brand. Um, so yeah, it just to your point, it really did feel fortuitous. It just felt like it was meant to be. And then I want to talk a little bit about your uh, latest book, uh, Passion on Park Avenue, which is part yeah. of the Park Pact. And then it's, you have three books in that series. Is that right? I do, yes. So Love on Lexington, Lexington Avenue is number two, and Marriage on Madison Avenue is book three. And they're all set, obviously, in New York. They um, are, yeah. Talk a little bit about these, the, these three books. So it was, it was sort of, it was a little bit of an odd one, only because I'd actually wrote the proposal for this book years ago, um, and I had taken it to my publisher at the time. And long story short, we ended up going sort of a different direction with another publisher and another series. And then the same publisher came back, you know, years later and they said, is this series still available? Because we'd really, you know, we would like to publish it. And it took me a minute because it is a little bit different. So for those of you who have, don't know or don't know sort of the setup, I, I kind of did a spin on almost like First Wives Club and um, the movie The Other Woman with Cameron Diaz, where it's basically these three women come together at a funeral and they find out this is the entire premise for the series they find out at that funeral that that's really, that basically this guy, one was married to him, one was his girlfriend, and one was had sort of a fling with him. They didn't know about the other, the other women, um, and they decide to become friends, basically. So it was very different for me in that it's, I don't want to say it's like a dark comedy, because other than that setup, it's, it's really not about the funeral or, or even the guy. Um, but yeah, it was, it was sort of a, a little bit, this like, idea just came to me and I kind of thought nobody would want it on the publishing front because it is maybe a little bit quirky as far as romance goes. Um, but yeah, it all came together. I think what's, what's wonderful is that when we write these kind of quirky or darker books or something with a twist, that we find the readers really gravitate to that. They, they tend to love something that's a little bit different and something that's original. They appreciate that, I think, because they usually, yeah. you know, they, they love reading and it's something that they're passionate about. So they love something that's a little different. I think so. And I think especially in contemporary romance right now, which is, is very much my world, there are so many books out there. And of course, we've had this amazing self-publishing boom, which then has even put more books on the market. So there is, I think, sort of an element of, okay, what feels fresh? What feels different? Um, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't always, always hit. And obviously, some people really do like what's familiar. I know if I see a book with a Duke on it, I don't care how many I've read, I'm going to buy another one. But yeah, to your point, they, they do like something, that little edge is different, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I also want to talk to you about the fact that I just think you're super talented because not only are you prolific um, with the word count that you tackle every day, we'll talk more about that too. <laughs> the fact that you can write between first person and third person for different books. Can you tell the readers and the listeners just so the difference, just so that they kind of get a handle on what we're chatting about? Yes, definitely. So, so third person, which is how I started writing, is um, it's a little bit more removed. So it would be in the case of she went to the refrigerator and got a glass of wine versus first person is a little bit more personal and you're writing actually as the narrator where you would say, I went to the refrigerator and I got a glass of wine. Yeah. Um, whenever I explain that, it's funny, I always use wine. I'm just realizing. Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> 
Yeah, oh yeah, I do. I do like my champagne. My husband and I always have a, a bottle of champagne in the refrigerator because you just never know when you're going to need to celebrate something. That's so uh, great. Yeah, and you know, actually, quick quick tangent on the champagne. It's something I really recommend because people always, you know, they save it for these really special occasions. And sometimes I just want to be like, well, like this is a special occasion. Like Tuesday afternoon, if it's sunny and you get with, done with work early, like that's a special occasion. So I, I try to push the champagne on people. This out. This, yeah. If this could be considered advice, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, about the the third and first person. Honestly, I I kind of just do it on a whim a little bit. So like I said, I started in third person, and I do I really I, I do enjoy that, and I think some books are suited to that. But then there are these other stories, and it's it's for me it tends to be the more um, I don't want to say opinionated characters, but maybe the characters that are a little bit more extroverted, like they tend to be a little bit more bubbly, especially the heroines. Sometimes those just come out in first person, uh, which I love. And I also love switching between them um, just because I, I think I would like to think that it helps keep me a little bit fresh. Uh, so, you know, one book, if I'm writing back to back, which I usually am because my deadlines are pretty tight this way, you know, switching back and forth allows me to feel like I'm sort of, you know, cleansing my palate each time, so to speak. And I don't think um, readers necessarily always know about those deadlines. Like for me, when I was writing the Icon Trilogy, this was for, for Harlequin, what I didn't realize was I would get, I would be writing the second book and I would of course get the note and I'd have a deadline for that. And then I'd get the, the second book back. Yeah. <laughs> edits and you're like, what? Wait, and then you've got two weeks maybe of working on that if you're lucky. And then you have to go back to the second book and then, oh gosh, and it's a cycle. It's a lot to write three books. So I really admire you for that. That's um... it, it is. Yeah. Like you said, it, there's a juggling act. I don't think, and even early on when I researched, I thought I researched everything there was about the writing process and the publication process, but you really don't know until you get in it. And like you said, you, you have a deadline for one book and you, you think you can like sink your teeth into that, but then, oh, here comes you know, revisions on another. And, and sometimes in my career, I've actually been with three different publishers. So I'll have like drafting for one and re revisions for another. And then here's copy edits for yet another. Um, and just sort of juggling all of those is always, always an adventure, we'll say. Because uh, it can look sometimes a little, I mean, I talked about glamour at the beginning, but um, <laughs> it can look glamorous, but sometimes we're sitting there in our PJs with our hair sticking up going, oh, make it work. Yes, yes. It's sort of like you, you just kind of keep your fingers crossed. And and by now I have, I think, 30 something books done. And what I always try to tell myself, I'm like, okay, it always, sometimes it always seems like it's going to be impossible. And I just try to remember, like, it always gets done. And worst case, if you have to ask for an extension and move out the release date, then that's what you have to do. It's, it's um, I think, important to kind of keep perspective on what we're doing here. I think also you write with a lot of humor. I'm, I'm thinking that you're putting a lot of that humor into your own life too. Yeah, I, I would like to think so. My, my parents and my sister, like our, our family has always been, we're very close. It's just sort of our immediate family and we're all very sarcastic, I would say, um, which I'm sure from the outside can be a little bit jarring, but I just sort of grew up in this very, you know, not like, I don't want to say it's a snarky household. Like we're, we're very loving. But yeah, the kind of like the banter and the back and forth was always constant. And then my husband, who I've been, we've been together since we were 17, has that same personality. So I actually, you know, I never really thought of my books as, as being funny or having humor. It was just sort of me. But I think I, over time, like I said, it is that banter. I just love banter. Anytime I can 
I can put that into my books to the point that my editors are like, don't forget, you need some plot and some setting. And I'm like, oh yeah, it can't just be my characters exchanging quips, but that, that is my favorite part for sure. Yes, and that's wonderful. Sometimes it's the other way around for authors that they have the plot and then they have to come back in and, and, and flesh it out with a little bit more, you know, personality and a bit more humor here and there. Um, right. You think you'll ever, your husband, is he a writer as well? He's sort of, I like to call him a modern renaissance man. So he used to be, you know, like me, he was in the corporate world. And then, you know, he sort of started, supported me as I was starting this whole writing adventure and he brought home the paychecks. And then when my career started to take off a little bit, um, and I was actually someone, I'm like, okay, I have some income now. What do you want to do? And he ended up quitting his job. So he, he does stand-up comedy. Um, he also, he does a lot of like food blogging. He does a bunch of YouTube videos. He's kind of I, I, he's an inter entertainer, so to speak. So you might one day write together, might even write a script or something together, a screenplay. We do actually, this sounds maybe a little bit nerdy, but that's what we do at the end of our day when we both finish our respective work. You know, we pour a glass of wine or he makes really good cocktails. So he'll pour us a cocktail and we actually do, you know, kind of dabble with screenplays. Um, we're currently working on a TV series. Nothing that we really pursued seriously because we, we do it just for fun. But I think eventually we would like to sort of see what we could do with that. But I feel like that's the best way that you're writing it out of, love and not out of pressure so there's exactly yeah organic in that respect and it's fun because you've both got your personalities pouring into it and different perspectives so I bet it I'm excited to see where that goes we'll have to yeah. keep an eye on that yes we'll definitely keep you updated <laughs> thank you what is your typical day like as a writer for you so I'm a very, people always roll their eyes when I say this, because I'm sure it's really annoying, but I'm a very early riser. So I get up at 5 a.m. pretty much every morning, unless I'm, you know, as I'm sick or if I've been traveling and I'm jet lagged, but the alarm goes off at 5 a.m. Um, my husband makes coffee and brings me coffee in bed, which leads me to sort of um, the awkward admission that the majority of my writing day takes place sitting up in bed with my laptop. And I know it's terrible for my posture. I'm sure someday my back is just gonna get out on me. I'm like, we can't do this anymore. But for, for whatever reason, the hour is usually between probably 6 a.m. And, and 9 nine to 10 a.m. That's really where my, my peak writing always happens. Um, so I usually, you know, it depends. Word count wise, I usually try to aim for about 5,000. Um, if I'm doing revisions or editing, that most definitely doesn't happen because I'm obviously focused on those. But yeah, I just, I always kind of make a point. It's got to be the writing first thing. Um, and yeah, I sit in bed and my dog sits next to me and I, I, I type until I hit my word count for the day. Um, and then after that, it's usually, again, this makes me feel so boring. But then I do the gym, um, take a shower. And then eventually, if I'm on a roll with writing, I'll keep going. But sort of like the lunch and afternoon hours tends to be a little bit more for like the business stuff. Um, I do a lot with Pinterest. So I make sure my Pinterest boards are updated. Um, Instagram, I try to post on a semi-regular basis. And then actually my husband and I co-own a web design company. So any web website stuff is also takes up a lot of my afternoons. Well, but in terms of my, oh, sorry, I, go ahead. I love my website, but I have a bit of website envy with your website. <laughs> Super gorgeous. It's amazing. Thank you. It is sort of my baby a little bit. I probably update it more often than I should. And sometimes I'm like, it's perfectly fine, but I'm like, let's give it a facelift. 
very good, good and it, it's a wonderful reflection of you I think yeah I was like wow that's pretty spectacular when I was checking it out I was like wow that really is. thank you <laughs> I'm not gonna lie it's one of my favorite compliments like people will compliment my books I'm like yeah 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 but did you see my website because uh, I, I do love it <laughs> Any aspiring author, check out Lauren's website if you want some um, tips on um, how to, you know, just really showcase yourself best because it's absolutely gorgeous and it, it's very easy to navigate and it's very personable. So I love it. What, may I ask what you're working on right now? Yes, yeah, so I'm actually in one of those pesky revision stages. Um, so I have a series coming out with Montlake next year. Uh, and it's called Man of the Year. This is actually the first time I've, I've talked about this. I haven't told anyone, so breaking news. Oh, breaking news. Um, <laughs> it's called Man of the Year, and it's, well, that's a tentative title. Basically, the, the premise of the series, and I've been super excited about this one for years, is, um, you know, people, I think it's the sexiest man alive. I think that's what they call the magazine, where it comes out like once a year. So I, I wanted to do something, it's basically, all the heroes, they are named the equivalent of people's sexiest man alive for copyright reasons. I can't call it that, uh, but so we're calling it man of the year. And it's been really fun because it allows me, you know, it's a series and that has this thread connecting them, but I'm pretty excited that it lets me write them as standalones because all of the men don't necessarily know each other. Um, it just gives me some, some wonderful freedom to try some new stuff, including this one now. And it's totally been a tricky, tricky world because it requires a lot more research than I usually do, but it's about the mayor of New York. Um, and he has a falling in love with his opponent's daughter, which is very, very tricky. So I wrote it and it was sort of a mess. And now I'm doing some major rewrites for that, but it's one of those really, really fun stories. Well, I think, I think what, that when you write that first draft, it just all comes out, all the magic is there. And then it's just a matter of shuffling it around and just tweaking it or, or pushing it into yeah. Magic is there. It sounds like when you're when you're writing these novels in New York, do you go, oh, I'm going to go out and you walk steps where your characters would. You go to the restaurants or to the hotels, and you just want to get a flavor for what they're looking at. It's more often the other way around, where I'll be out, like you know, with my husband, or I'm you know grabbing a glass of wine with a girlfriend, and we'll go to some rooftop bar that I haven't been to before, or some sort of like hole in the wall Italian restaurant. And I'm sort of living my life there. And then it's very strange. It's like, you know, a month or two later in my writing, all of a sudden, like I'll, I'll envision like that particular place and sort of find, find a way to, to make my characters go there. <laughs> um, so, so basically they're, they're, they're living a little bit in my footsteps, but it is fun, fun to go ahead. I have to say, I love your philosophy on how to handle release day. I think I've been doing it all wrong. Um, for when a book comes out, what, tell us a little bit about that, because I absolutely... Oh, yeah. release days, they're tricky, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they're spooky, but they're brilliant, and there's lots of emotions on release day. There's lots of emotions, and I think what I've learned is to, as much as possible, set myself up to celebrate the positive emotions, because it can be, you know, you pour your heart and your absolute soul into every single book that you write, and you put it out there and then it's, it's very easy to get sucked into what I call the, the sales rank refresh where you're just on Amazon. You're like, have they updated the sales rank? Have they updated the sales rank? Or, you know, I can be at 50,000 or 5,000 or top 100. And there's always sort of, I think this pressure to, you know, do better than you did last time. Or you're, I'm always sort of like a little bit aware of other books coming out on the same day and comparing myself. 
And I realized, I think maybe two, three years ago, I'm like, it's just, it's not what I want to be doing. You know, I, I really want to celebrate the fact that I wrote a book. I did the best I could by that book. I can't do anything more for this book than I already have. So why stress out about it? Um, so I make a point. I try not to go on Amazon. I definitely don't read reviews because that's one thing that could just send to me, you know, it's sadness. I don't, I don't know if readers fully, fully think of it that way. Cause they're, of course they're expressing their opinions and that's great, but it can be just heartbreaking, you know, to see a two-star review on a book that you just released. Um, so I, I really just try to, to keep my head down and I have some champagne. Um, I always try to write something new on release day. That's something I've been doing probably for my last three to five releases. And it makes such a difference to sort of remember first and foremost, I am a writer and I am a creator. And that, that's really, that's why I'm doing this. I think, oh gosh, there's a wonderful YouTube video by Brent. Is it uh, Brené Brown? Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh, I know Brené Brown. I'm so sorry. And she talks about those people who are in the arena and with you and they're creating too, and that their opinion is what's really important. And I think yeah. that's, if, if, that's just on a side note that I found that really helpful. Oh, it's, you know, you know, like I honestly, I'm sorry to interrupt here. I can't believe you just brought that up because that quote that she brings up is actually um, from Teddy Roosevelt, the man in the arena, which has been my favorite quote for probably a decade now. It's the one that's really kept me centered. And a friend sent me that quote to Brené Brown. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like I love that she's helping make that idea popular because I think, I think it's so easy to forget, you know, like why we're doing this. And, and what really matters is that we're trying, you know, we're the ones that are, are putting our heart and soul into this and kind of, you know, you have to be open to getting bruised and, and you definitely can a little bit. And I, you know, I think as they say that your greatest gift can be your greatest curse. Like our greatest gift is we're super sensitive or authors are, most people are, but I think authors are really, really extra sensitive. And that's how we really get behind our characters when we're putting them on the page, we get into their heads and into their psyche. And, uh, and then of course, on the flip side, once the book's out, we're still sensitive, you know, because yeah, yeah. Made, you know? Well, yeah, because I think, you know, we're, that's such a good point, and I hadn't thought about that before, but we're always trying to be open for our characters, because we're like, okay, you know, here on heroine, what do you have for me? So you're, tr on one hand, trying to be a, an open channel for that, while at the same time, trying to not be too open to the negative vibes coming in. Yes. That's funny. But I think it's good that other people know that that's, that's how it is, and then you embrace it, and as you say, you make your release date phenomenal, because you've done all that work, and you're sharing something that you feel you know you put a lot of heart and soul into and it's a wonderful experience it really is and if I'm going to from now on tackle it with a glass of champagne in my hand because of you Lauren <laughs> oh, please do and you know I, I hear so many writers and I think we should all do what works for us but I hear so many authors giving the advice of like oh well you have to have a tough skin for to be an author and I'm like you know what I don't I don't really want to have a tough skin like I don't necessarily want to walk around with this armor and like, give me anything you got. I, I you know, I want to be open to, to the, the positive things. And I think if you have a, a thick skin, sometimes you can maybe risk um, shutting out the, the good stuff as well as the bad. So I, I really, like I said, I just, I don't want to say I isolate myself, but I, I sort of feel, okay, is this going to be a good place for me? Is amazon.com on release day going to lead to happy vibes? And if it doesn't, then I, I try to take a step back. You know, I always ask authors at the end of the podcast your advice, and you just gave it. It's like the best <laughs> advice ever. And I 
going to take it. Thank <laughs> <laughs> so you. Thank so thank you so much for joining us. Where can we find you? I mean, I've already gone and praised your website, which I'm thinking <laughs> Lauren it is. It's laurenlane.com. And I'm actually a little bit notoriously um, a hermit in that I don't do Facebook and I don't do Twitter, which I know is a little scandalous in the author world. Um, but I, I just don't love the platforms. So definitely the best way is my website. I love Instagram. And then I'm, well, I want to say I'm pretty regular with my newsletter. I've been slacking a little bit. But really my, my website, my newsletter and Instagram are, are my go-tos for, for staying in touch. And I think there's so many authors out there that aren't, you know, they have a platform, but they're not doing what a lot of authors are doing. I mean, it's hard to balance all of that. And that's okay because your books are speaking for themselves. So that's what's phenomenal, isn't it? I'm so, <laughs> so happy that you were able to join us today, you know, during a busy schedule with all these things that's going cool. on. And um, thank you so much, Lauren. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you again to Lauren Lane for joining us on The Romance Show. Her latest book, Passion on Park Avenue, is available now. Next in the Central Park Pact comes Love on Lexington Avenue and Marriage on Madison Avenue. From, from my perspective, what's going on with me, Pervade London is out if you want to read that on Kindle Unlimited. And Pervade Montego Bay is now available for pre-order. That release date is set for August 18th and I couldn't be more excited. Thank you again for joining us. It's been so much fun chatting with Lauren today. I hope you've had as much fun as I have. Keep your books open and your hearts full.